Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, Coffee Pod. I hope your week is treating you well. Today, I am answering a question called into the podcast phone line. And I just want to say, I love hearing your voices. I understand not everybody wants to call in and leave a voicemail that you want. It's easier to text. I fully respect that. And I love hearing your voices. <laughs> that sounded creepy. It's less, it's less like uh, creepy than that. It's more just like, I feel just really touched by hearing you and like getting a sense of people it's like similar vibes as like meeting people in person you know it feels really connecting and so I I just think it's one of the coolest things ever that I get to do this and then I get to hear you engage with it I can't believe this is real life um and just as a reminder if you want to call or text Um, your questions into the podcast phone line. You can do that at 828-338-9127. It's also always linked in the show notes for you. So if you want to grab it, you can always grab it there. So let's get into today's call. Hi, Sarah Jane. I really enjoyed your most recent podcast episode. And something that really stuck out to me was at the very beginning when you were talking about the joy of having your barista sort of check in on you. And you mentioned that there was a portion of your life where you really didn't feel important to anyone or that your presence mattered to anyone. And I was wondering if you could do a podcast episode on that portion of your life, if you don't mind being so vulnerable, and what helps you through it. Part two of my question is that I know you now have a husband and a kid who you love very dearly. And the easy answer to my first question is that you found that you valued, that you were very valued by them and that you really mattered to them. And so that was, that was the way you got out of that hard time. And as a single person approaching 30, I hope that that's not just the easy way out, but at the same time, you know what, maybe if you're being honest, it is. I'm just really curious about how that played out for you and your thoughts on the situation. Uh, Part three of the question might be that I'm an Enneagram 4, so that tracks. Anyway, thank you so much for everything you do and for listening to this very long voicemail and potentially answering my question. Have a lovely day. Goodbye. First of all, I just want to say thank you so much for asking such a deep question. Um, I am more than happy to go to this personal place with you and to be this vulnerable. Um, I think it's part of being human and yeah, let's, let's get into it. Um, I am not scripting this one out. I'm gonna, I have like brief outline for me. 
but it's very vague. And so it's going to be a little bit rambly, just like a warning, because I don't know where my brain will go. Um, but, you know, I think that this really started for me pretty young. I can remember being in elementary school and kind of having this feeling of like, everybody's too busy to care if I'm here. And I think I remember that I received this message in a lot of ways. Um, first of all, my family life was chaotic. There was a lot of addiction, a lot of violence, a lot of chaos. And I had a you know working you know a working mom. We, grew, we were in poverty. There was just a lot happening, a lot of mental health stuff. Um, so. I was the lowest priority by the nature of it, right? Like I was not a fire to be put out. And so when you live in chaos, there is a lot of fires to be put out, right? There's, you know, people with mental health issues who you're having to manage. There's people with addictions who you're managing. There is, you know, the people who are managing the people have addictions and mental health issues. And so when that's happening, the one person who's not saying anything is easily overlooked, right? Like I had my brother who like also didn't have like a lot of mental health issues or addictions. Like he was more angry, you know, and he, he like really fought for what he wanted and how he felt. And so even in the midst of that, like he, he found his way to be heard, you know, but I just didn't. I, I feel like I, my childhood experience was very much like everyone wanted, I was the youngest. I was the only girl. I have red hair. Like people wanted, people gave me a lot of affection, but they didn't give me empathetic attention, if that makes sense. Like I knew I was wanted, but I didn't know that like, I could be sad or difficult or frustrated with the situation or even angry. And it really felt like those are things I have to deal with on my own. But if I can perform, like I'm like, if I'm happy and I'm feeling good, I can like entertain. Um, I felt very much like overwhelmed with attention while simultaneously feeling like no one really cared about me at all. And I have so much empathy for the people in that scenario. People don't choose to be addicted, right? People don't choose mental health issues. But I also, like, I know that, like, at this point in my life, I'm aware that I I could have had better and I deserved better. But I also understand their perspective, right? That being said, um... I remember as a child, like literally running away multiple times and no one knowing that I was gone. Or if they did know, like maybe at this age, I'm like, maybe they did know and they just didn't acknowledge that I had gone. Either way, um, it really stuck with me and it stays with me that sense that like you are the least of our worries. And even into this, this age now, you know, like my, my grandma's getting older. Um, my papa's passed away 
And my grandma has said, like, we don't have to worry about Sarah Jane. Like, and she's, like, given money to my brother who to help him buy a house. But, like, no one is there for me like that, you know? And, and it's because, like, I've made myself the one with the least amount of need to have concern, right? Like, I'm just like, I got it. I've got myself... I can take care of myself. I don't need anyone. That's the way I like responded. And um, that's super lonely, right? Like, and I think that that's something that the Enneagram really helped me to understand is how lonely it is to be perceived as happy and independent and capable all the time. Um, this isn't something that I think I would have wanted to admit at one point in my life. Um, but we'll get in we'll get more into that in a little bit but kind of my childhood experience was very much like that was my message like you don't matter and my mom has since like acknowledged that and apologized for it like she would make my birthdays really special it'd be like one day a year that like I got a tent like it was like about me what I wanted and um otherwise it was like everybody else needed her more and I, yeah, (laughs) so I'm like rambling. So that's kind of like the childhood message I received. So obviously that formed a major part of how I respond to the world. Um, I really don't think like these childhood messages and these childhood experiences ever fully leave us, you know? And it, it brings me to college And when I think back to college, this is when I was the most, like, sevened out (laughs) Um, in the sense that I was, like, happy all the time. I wanted to, like, always be doing adventures. I always wanted to be doing something exciting. I couldn't stand to, like, just be in my room by myself. Um, If I was in my room by myself, I would just, like, hang out the window and, like, hope someone would, like, wait for someone to come by and invite me to go out and do something. Like, I... I just like did not do solitude (laughs) in silence and I would like pull all-nighters just because I didn't want to even go back and sleep because like what if people would have fun while I was sleeping and I would like miss out on like a good time and this sounds like it would be the least lonely time of my life right like that I would be like So, um, I would never feel lonely in that space because I was never alone. But when you are someone who feels like you have to be happy all the time and that your presence doesn't matter, it's very lonely, right? So I would feel like no one really knew me. People loved, people liked the idea of me, but not the real me is how I would often feel. And... And what that means is I was presenting to them this like happy-go-lucky, playful, adventurous, silly person who I was, right? That was like one sliver of me. But then like there was this depth of, of childhood trauma and like pain and sorrow that I carried in isolation. And I felt at that time like if I were to show that to people they wouldn't want to be around me right like I would be a burden to them and so I would like go off 
and I've, I still do this, and my husband and I have to talk about it a lot, but I would go off and go have my feelings, and then I would come back and be happy again. I would leave parties in the middle of the party and go off, sit in my car, or go to, there's this little spot by the lake I used to go to, go to the lake, cry, wipe my eyes, wash my face, and then go back, and no one would even know what happened. And this is what I thought being a friend was at the time. This is what I thought like having friends was. And I think it was what it was super lonely, right? Because it's like it makes you dispensable, right? Like if I'm just there for a good time, I'm bouncing around from friend group to friend group. And quite frankly, this is going to be I don't want to gender this necessarily, but this has just been my experience. So I'm not saying like all men are like this, all women are like this, but I am saying like this is my projection at the time and my experience at the time, which was like I was very comfortable with male friendships, um, largely because I only had brothers growing up. My mom didn't really have female friends. I wasn't around a lot of women outside of like in my home. My brothers had lots of friends over all the time. Um, and I, I, yeah, had some friends in school, like every, but it was like those female friends that I had at school or at church would change seasonally. And my longer lasting friends were always guys. And so when I got to college, like I just naturally wanted to be one of the guys. Like that's what I wanted. I like felt comfortable in that space. I didn't have to be vulnerable to do that, if that makes sense. Because I, I think what I've learned over time is that I, women slowed me down. Women wanted to know me. They wanted to connect with me. They wanted to see me on an emotional level that I, I don't know that I was ready to go to. And so it would feel very like scary to me and cloying or in, um, yeah, it would feel really intimidating, <laughs> honestly. And I think I, I wasn't ready to have those emotions with another person and quite frankly the men a majority of the men in my life like I wasn't their main friend group like they were friends with a bunch of other dudes and then I would just kind of pop in have a fun experience and then go back to being alone and while a lot of those men are very emotionally attuned I wasn't their priority in that way, right? They were having like big emotional experiences with each other, but I was a visitor, right? But for me, that was like as deep as I was going. And so it was very easy for me to kind of like be popping in and out of people's lives kind of. And and I think almost like seeking friendships with guys to perpetuate the cycle of it doesn't matter if I'm there and um and i think that this is like the other side of being independent right is like if i don't need anyone no one else no one else needs me and so it kind of creates a little bit of a lack of community and i've heard it said before that like sevens are like these solo travelers through the universe and we just kind of pop in and out of people's lives and i think that that's how i've often been is like I don't have much of a community. I just kind of pop in and out of other people's communities. And I try to be a positive force when I get there, but then I don't often have that like long lasting deep community. 
that I carry with me over time. And college eventually became that for me. I learned in college a lot of these skills. Um, and there's a lot of varying experiences that built into that and lots of amazing people who poured into me in that time and who pulled me out of of that space and really challenged me. And I'm so grateful for those people, you have no idea. Uh, but yeah, I think this was a time where I was being invited into community, but I was wrestling with how do I do that and let people see my darkness because I hadn't done that before. So, um, so yeah, I that was my college experience. And then I got married pretty straight out of college to um, a perfectly nice person, you know? <laughs> I think um, that's the, the easiest way to put it. Like, he's a very nice person and we just should not have been married to each other. And I think we had a moment where we knew that, like before we even got engaged, where we were like, I think we should break up, but I really like you, I'm very drawn to you, I'm very attracted to you, but like, um, we just weren't compatible. It, we, we shouldn't, we just should never have been in a marriage. But that marriage was super, super lonely for me. Um, I think because I felt, a lot of pressure to be like the perfect wife while at the same time like not having the perfect marriage experience and we we were just very unskilled in communicating very unskilled in how to be in this relationship with each other i think we just shouldn't have ever been in that relationship right like it was it was a strange choice and i remember feeling so lonely we didn't like the same people and so we had different friends. And when I lived, I we moved to Wilmington, North Carolina. And at the time, I found it really hard to make friends for a while there. I eventually did. I found a community there and kind of plugged myself in. But before that, you know, I kind of just was alone a lot. And he had, he was in school and had a job. So he was like very busy. I was building a photography business. And I had a, I had a job at a coffee shop. And so I, we were spending very separate lives. I was feeling very isolated and alone. I also think, you know, he wanted to maybe to, different than I was. I wanted him to be different than he was. And we just really struggled. And from there, we like traveled for a while. Um, and then we moved to Asheville. And we moved first to, to a little apartment outside of Asheville. And he worked out of the home. I was a photographer full time at the time. And I worked just like in our little apartment all day, every day. I would go to coffee shops and I would travel to do photo shoots and stuff, but like I didn't have any friends. I didn't know anybody. I literally could have not mattered to anyone. You know, like literally, our marriage was so off that I was so alone in the marriage. And like, it wasn't like my partner came home and I felt loved <laughs> or like we, like my person is here. It really felt like, oh, this person who doesn't quite get me has returned to our abode. <laughs> um, more than I felt like, okay, at least one person sees me. And when you don't have the ability to be seen by your family 
and you don't really have the ability to be seen by your partner and you don't have any friends, it feels like who would even know if I was gone, quite honestly. Um, and that was really hard. <laughs> I'm getting emotional about it because um, I don't know if I've ever really voiced that before in that way. Um, yeah, so that was very hard. At the time, and I think this is really cool, like I was a regular at a coffee shop in our little town outside of Asheville and they started to recognize me and make small talk with me, the baristas there. And then I became a regular at a coffee shop in Asheville. Whew, I need to like gather my emotions here before I tell this story. Whew. So he, when he was working in the small town we were living in, um, I would be a regular at this other coffee shop. But then he started working in Asheville. And what I would do, what I would drive him to work and then I would spend the day at a coffee shop in Asheville. Now at this time, Asheville had like one good coffee shop. <laughs> so I would work from there literally all day long. Like I would be there as soon as I took him to work. I would hang out there, I would grab lunch there, I would sit there literally all day long. And eventually, just from being a regular, people started talking to me because they're like, girl, do you have a life, <laughs> you know? But it was like this time where I, I started talking to people, I became friends with people who were regulars there. They started like inviting me to little things that were happening that they were doing. And that ended up being my community for I mean, a solid seven, eight years in this town. My best friends came from there. You know, my entire social life came from there. At the same time, like he began making friends at his work and we just started living kind of totally different lives. So while I didn't find my sense of being seen in that relationship, I did find it in my community. Now, um, that being said, I I allowed myself to be seen in my emotions in this dynamic. I was also like we you know when we got divorced, I really let myself be seen in like my cringy moments of like post-divorce dating and like it was just like, you know, that was a messy process. <laughs> but I felt really held and seen in that and that was a lot to do with just building those friends from that coffee shop. Um but I want to say, like, even now, you know, I met my husband. I have, you know, really good friends. I don't have as many friends as I used to have, but I have some that I've had for years and years and years who know me more well than is comfortable sometimes. And I have, like, this amazing online community, but I still feel this way sometimes because, you know, this has been a pervasive message what you know in childhood I received it but then I perpetuated it for myself right like it's not like people didn't want to know me or see me but I had it so clear in my mind that like to be seen I had to be happy and fun and I couldn't be seen in my wholeness which perpetuated that sense that no one cared if I was there or I would isolate um, in response to feeling lonely or having hard emotions or not knowing how to feel those hard emotions, I would kind of go into hyper independence mode. 
And so even in, even though I'm in a marriage where someone per- pursues me emotionally, sometimes to a degree that I am scared of, you know, where I like, I have a hard time matching. Um, but I value very, very much. Um, and I have a child who I love and who loves me. That story that it's sometimes better even, I think like it's better if I wasn't here. Um, I still wrestle with. Um, I have had seasons of wrestling with in our marriage and I don't think any relationship will ever make that go away. I mean, I think it's just going to be something that I'm in relationship to for the rest of my life and will need to allow myself to be seen wholly, no matter the consequence, quote unquote, and also allowing myself to see myself wholly and validate that experience and allow myself to not isolate and to feel valuable, even if I'm telling myself that same old story is being told in my mind, right? So I'm going to kind of go through some of the like highlights of how I've moved through it over the years just to end on like a positive note because <laughs> I'm like, here's how sad I've been. Um, so first, I think um, the first major shift happened for me in college. Um, I felt I feel like I was deeply pursued by people who wanted to know me and I eventually learned to meet that level of emotional connection even when it was hard um so i think to some degree it is community that we need and as much as i want to say because i love the fantasy that i could feel wanted alone I don't think that's how I grew, if I'm honest, you know? Like, I love the self-reliance fantasy. It fills something in me like that, like fulfills (laughs) a desire in me to not need anyone, to not be needed by anyone so well, but it's not accurate. Um, Have I had to hold my own hand in those pits of despair? Um, yes, you know, like I absolutely had to learn how to be a loving, tender, kind friend to myself, put myself out there, go to coffee shops, make small talk, um, meet strangers, collaborate with other photographers when I was doing photography, things like that. Um, go to, into community spaces and make myself available. Those are things I had to do because I loved myself and I knew I deserve to not be isolated, but I'm everything I'm describing is putting myself into community. And so I just, I think we do need other people, right? I think we are to some degree dependent upon other people seeing us in order to feel seen. And that is a tricky thing for me to say because I don't want it to be true. <laughs> And I'm like, my brain is even like spinning its wheels. Like, is there any other way? But I think the the reality I have come to accept over the years 
is that the story that I don't need anyone I've held on to so long because it's it's what I had to do to survive but my therapist and I talk about this a lot and her thing is like it's always there like that gets to be plan b you can take care of yourself you're fully able to do that but let's make plan a see allowing other people to support you right so um yeah so my major first major shift happened in college where i felt like pursued and loved and i allowed myself to be seen but one of the other shifts that i made in that relationship my first marriage was being a regular places being a regular at the coffee shop in our small little town and then being a regular at a coffee shop in Asheville and building those communities through that um that was a huge deal um so being a regular at places I really do think can really help your mental health if you're feeling isolated and alone even if it's like a coffee shop or a grocery store or somewhere that you go the same time every day or every week where people can just remember your face, remember that you're there. Um, And as a barista, like as a former barista, like my regulars were mattered to me, you know, and and I know every barista is not going to be like that. Some people are, are not that communal, that like people oriented. But for me as a barista and for a lot of the baristas I've worked with in the past, like if a regular stopped coming in for like a month, we'd be like, are they okay? You know, I would like miss them. I'd think about them. I'd I'd be concerned. And I think that's a taste of community, you know? And the other thing that helped me a lot would be, and still helps me now, is focusing on seeing others versus if I am being seen by others. It's that annoying quote that is like always used. It's like people remember how you made them feel, not what you accomplished or, you know, something along those lines. And I think that that's just one of the most true things. And I think that's why it's overused because when I, and I, and you know, I think about like my relationship to my kid, right. And how I want them to feel in relationship to me. I never want to put on to them the pressure of seeing me accurately or making me feel a certain way. But sometimes I need to feel confident in our bond, right? And if I can like step outside of myself and say, if I want to feel close to my kid, I need to make sure that my kid knows I'm pursuing them, not asking them to pursue me. So I'm going to say, which this is what I say to my kiddo like almost every night. It's like, tell me everything that happened to you today and how you felt about it. And like, this is uh, like typically like motivated from the place of like, I want to know them, right? I want to know who they are. I want to know what happened to them. But also it serves the purpose as well, like a dual purpose of allowing me to know that like I'm an important part of their life and it's okay sometimes to be indispensable. Now, I think... I have an aversion to being indispensable because that makes me feel too needed, right? That's like the seven energy. But I have, you know, two clients where I'm like, you need to become dispensable. (laughs) Like, It's important that you allow yourself to be dispensable. And I think that's where, you know, our Enneagram types kind of come into play. But I would say for for me as a self-referencing type and and Forza self-referencing as well, that sense of like, oh, no one's... cares about me no one's gonna miss me if I'm gone um 
I, what if like, I'm not as like connected to neighbors as I think I am or something along those lines. Instead of focusing on how other people are receiving me or seeing me, focusing on how well can I see them helps me to initiate connection from a really safe place for the people I'm initiating connection with. I'm not going to that connection hoping that they'll feel this like sense of loneliness in me and make me not feel lonely anymore. I'm going into the sense of connection with like, how can I know you um, and see you? And I think that that has helped me both in the past and in my relationship now. Um, but you know, I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that our environment does impact us. I, you know, I talked about my childhood, my, my family, and how like no one could see me in that scenario. I went into high school and my best friend in high school was just like someone who could not love me well. <laughs> she had so much insecurity. I was like, I think a threat to everything she wanted or something. Um, and she would put me down a lot. She wanted me to feel less confident than I felt. Um, yeah, she, she really like spent a lot of time invested in making me feel insecure. Um, and that obviously didn't help me to feel less alone. But then when I get, got to college and I had, I was surrounded by people who were working on themselves, who were trying to grow, who had, you know, emotional stability and were doing deep emotional work and they were getting to know me and helping me to grow, like inviting me in to growth with them and, and into community with them. Like it became a lot easier to love myself. It became a lot easier to accept myself as I was. I was given different narratives around what it means to be a person and what it means to be good and beautiful. And like, I now only accept environments that do that for me, right? I think you know, I got the taste of that environment and then now that's the only environment that I will allow. And if that means I have five best friends and everybody else is kind of an acquaintance, that's okay with me because I only want good things. Um, and I environments do impact the way that we experience ourselves and I took it took me a long time to come around to that but when I look back at my life and really am honest about big growth moments it's been a change of environment and that's okay you know so and you know quite honestly even back in the day when I was a photographer my audience was much smaller but creating content online helped me to feel like I mattered and that's maybe not like the best thing ever maybe it's not like the perfect way to feel less alone but it is a way to feel less alone you know writing photographing recording yourself like talking to someone even if it's an anonymous blog you know having a space to share yourself even if you're having a hard time making that space in real life writing you know whatever works for you but sharing yourself even if maybe in-person connections are currently difficult um 
And then finally, I think just like not waiting to be seen. I think sometimes like in that first marriage, I had an option to stay at home and work from home all day, every day and feel like my husband needed to make me feel the way I wanted him to make me feel. And because he wasn't capable of doing that, being deeply, deeply, deeply hurt and depressed, that would have been, that was already like one of the darkest times of my life, right? But I cannot fathom how much darker it would have been had I not actively pursued being seen, (laughs) putting myself out there, talking to strangers, making small talk with people at the grocery store, with people at the coffee shop, you know, even if it's, even if it's just like, how was your day? My day's good. I like your outfit. Like those little interactions can bring so much joy to an otherwise really lonely existence and embracing that and actively pursuing putting myself in front of people versus isolating and hiding out um that probably saved my life if I'm honest um I'm laughing because that's what I I do when I feel like I'm gonna cry but um yeah I think I think that probably saved my life and this is yeah this is a heavy one guys (laughs) um so all of that being said that's my story those are the things that have helped um but I just want to say thank you so much to, for asking this question. Um, for like, it really gave me like a deep and meaningful chance to sit and really wrestle with like my growth or where I've been, where I've gone, where I've come. But I want to just iterate again or reiterate. There's a there's a word for that. I want to reiterate that this isn't a feeling that has ever fully gone away, and. I feel that way still, even in this like loving, happy marriage with an, a giant, you know, audience to share my thoughts with, like that feeling hasn't gone and it's not here all the time. It's not here for as long. I have better tools and resources to support me in that feeling, but I haven't reached a destination where that doesn't ever come back up. And I don't think I probably ever will. Um, but I will always, I think like at the end of the day, I'm going to talk to myself kindly. I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to let myself be seen, you know? And I think that that's, that's what we can do. But thank you so much again for sending this in. And if you all want any more <laughs> stories, um, you're more than welcome to send those in as well via the podcast phone line. Or if you want me to talk about a certain topic, if you have an episode request, always feel like you can text or call those in to 828-338-9127. And as always, it's an absolute joy to create this content for you. And I will see you Monday for the next one. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.